Shalom and wanted to give a disclaimer that this audio recording is in parts because this is the first recording for the Torah to Pesora class, also called TTB. And I will say the opening bracha and pass it over to the uh, parts of the recordings that we have tonight. So please bear with us with all the technical difficulties. Bezrat Hashem, next week's class will be all squared away in one cohesive recording. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakarbanu Mikol Hamim Ve'natan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Well Shalom and welcome to the Torah to Basora class uh, is also called TTB and uh, tonight we will be in the Basora portion of Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. So if you'll go there in your Basora and hold that down. Uh, so Luke chapter 2, 22 through 35. And we'll be in the fifth Aliyah. For Parsha Tazria, which will be indicated by the word Hamishi in your margin. Normally, this Torah portion is read together with Medzora, but uh, it is only read by itself this year because we had an extra month. So Hashem gave us extra time, Baruch Hashem. I'd like to welcome all of our uh, not in person viewers or listeners, and uh, yeah, Rukh Shem. So, this is the first week we're recording everything. So, we're going to get started with the Braka Ayin uh, Koak. If you'll set the timer, and uh, let's go ahead and choose who our readers are going to be. Who should read the uh, the fifth Aliyah? Right. It's, it's not a question. <laughs> <laughs> fifth Aliyah starts in uh, verse verso uh, venti nueve twenty nine chapter thirteen and it goes all the way through. Uh, verse 39, because verse 40 begins a new Aliyah. A man or woman in whom there will be an affliction on the scalp or in the beard, the Kohen shall look at the affliction and behold, its appearance is deeper than the skin, and within it is weak, golden hair. The Kohen shall declare him contaminated. It is the Nesek, is the rot of the head or the beard. But if the Kohen looks at the Nesek affliction, and behold, its appearance is not deeper than the skin, but there is no dark hair within it, the Kohen shall quarantine the Nesek affliction for seven days. The Kohen shall look at the affliction on the seventh day, and behold, the Nesek had not spread, and no golden hair was in it, 
appearance of the Neset is not deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but he shall not shave the Neset. And the Kohen shall quarantine the Neset for a, se a second seven-day period. The Kohen shall look at the Neset on the seventh day, and behold, the Neset had not spread on the skin, and its appearance is not deeper than the skin. The Kohen shall declare him pure, and he shall immerse his clothing, and he is pure. But if the Nesek shall spread on the skin after he has been declared pure, the Kohen shall look at it, and behold, the Nesek has spread on the skin. The Kohen need not examine it for a golden hair, it is contaminated. But if the Nesek has retained its appearance, and dark hair has sprouted in it, the Nesek has healed. It is pure, the Kohen shall declare it pure. If a man or woman has spots in the skin of their flesh, white spots, the Kohen shall look, and behold, on the skin of their flesh are dim white spots. It is a boha that, the, that has erupted on the skin. It is pure. All right. Rukashem. First adjustment is our readers will need to sit in this chair. So, uh, so for our Basora reader, when they... Okay, well, welcome back to the Torah to Besorah class for Parsha Tazria. We are now getting ready for the Besorah portion from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. All right. Traffic. All right. So. And do we have a book for her to read? Important if the reader is reading, they, they have to have the material. Oh, okay. Where are you going to read standing or sitting? I'll read standing. Luke, where? Cool. So you're just standing right here? Okay, Luke, where? Luke, 20, Luke 2, 22. Thank you very much. Through 35. Days of his purification according to the, oh, wait a minute, and the when the and when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the, Holy, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Yeshua to do for him the custom of the law, then... Then took he up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all the people, 
a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were said, which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto and to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce thee, pierce through thy own heart also, thy own soul also, that the th uh, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Amen. All right. So, first thing to note on the uh, the connection here to the parasha from the Basora is that they do not choose to cite a verse from this week's Torah portion. As far as the right out of the gate, um, that every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy. So I believe that harkens back to Parsha Bo. And then they come in afterwards, obviously, with the Corbin that is supposed to be brought. Uh, and specifically the verse about the pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So I thought that was very interesting that they mashed up a couple of Torah portions to kind of bring some. Consistency and unity to our passage here. So, all right, so let's let it fly. Um, again, we are recording tonight's class. This is the first time. So, we're going to try to do our best to get all the insights on here because Rabbi wants to share this with the world. So, Rukshim. So, as a sourcing out, um, Go back to the beginning of our parsha, Tazria. We start in verse 5. It says, If she gives birth to a female, she shall be contaminated two weeks, as during her separation for 66 days she shall remain in blood of purity. Upon completion of the days of her purity for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a sheep within its first year for an elevation offering, which is interesting to note because this is the same offering that you bring for the morning and evening tamid offering. So part of what the woman is bringing is a tamid offering, which is legit. Uh, because the, the Tamid, as we note, noted from uh, Parsha Zav, uh, when Rabbi was going through the different offerings, that the Tamid offering uh, is brought for improper thoughts. And there's probably a few improper thoughts that happen during... Uh, All right. Oh, so anyway, to continue my point here... Uh, Kind of got swerved with the time eat. It says a young a young dove or a turtle dove for a sin offering to the to the entrance of the tent of eating to the Kohen. So there is our verse as quoted in this week's uh, Basora portion. It's right there in Vayikra twelve verse six. And the footnote from the Humash. 
She seeks atonement for two kinds of sins. The elevation offering atones for resentful thoughts she may have had against her husband or even her creator uh, during her labor pains from the Ibn Ezra. The sin offering atones for the possibility that in her agony she may have sworn never to live with her husband again. And I don't know. <laughs> it's a little crazy, right? So that's actually from Talmud. That's Nida 31b. The cool thing about it is that the turtle doves are known to be uh, birds of one mate. So it's interesting that she's bringing an offering that corresponds to I only live with one person and I will not live with anyone else. And it's just like, well, I don't want to live with this guy again because he did this to me. And it's just like, well, we'll bring an offering for that. So if you, if you extend that to Mashiach's offering, he's atoning for something that we, in a sense, without maybe vocalizing, but definitely by our actions expressed towards Hashem, i.e. we don't want to live by your standards and we'd rather live by ours so the offering that's brought for that is we live by your standards and not by ours so I think we all knew that but if you just kind of connect those dots on these offerings uh, it's really legit to see the tapestry so you said the woman brings a Tamid offering again to a time for uh, resentful thoughts against her husband and or even her creator. That's for if you have a boy or a girl. If you have a boy or a girl, same offerings. And it's for the firstborn. Mm-hmm. It's firstborn, secondborn, anytime you have a child. Specifically in our... Um, Basora portion, it's saying firstborn because it's also letting us know that this is the firstborn child, like that the, the Parsha is talking about. Because it's interesting that when we talk childbirth, it starts with when the woman gives birth to a son. And she's like, Well, what if her first child was a girl? Yeah. Are we just going to be like, No, you're not firstborn? But you have to go back to the study of the firstborn. The firstborn is all about who is the firstborn, and that's the man, that's the Torah, that's Mashiach, that's Israel. Like all of those are called firstborns, according to the Midrash. So our Besor portion is definitely wanting to make sure we know that this is another validation of Mashiach, that he is a firstborn, and he corresponds to the Torah portion that talks about a son who was born. So, just a few anchor points is what this is really kind of bringing down. And again, like I said, it's going back to Parsha Bo, you know, to bring this up. That the firstborn is consecrated and set apart as holy. You literally bring an offering to consecrate the firstborn son to Hashem. So, what about... I'm going back a ways, but remember yeah. the, the parasha where the father had no sons, all he had was daughters? Yes, that is coming up in, in Sefer Bamibar. <laughs> yeah. How does, I mean, so even though they bring, the the woman brings a Tommy offering, 
are they never are the girls still never really considered firstborn? The oldest one, I mean, you know what I mean? Well, if the, they never have a boy. Right. So the the key word is firstborn male. So you can have a firstborn girl, but you're only uh, bringing a uh, a consecration offering for the offering of the firstborn, which is called pidyon haben which is the, the money that the father has to pay for the firstborn son. You only do that if it's a male. If it's a female, she's still called a firstborn, but there's not an offering or anything that's attached to that. Does that make sense? No. No? Okay, so... I guess I'm wondering why... I mean, I, under, I understand firstborn male, but I'm just wondering why is it that... What is it about the firstborn male that mm. you have to offer an offering... Or break the neck of the donkey or whatever, you know, but you don't have to do it for a girl. Is it because, as Rabbi taught, is it because women are already probably more closer to Hashem than men? Or what is it? I, I just want, I don't want to get the full understanding of that. All right. I would imagine it's because there's not really like a stipulated role of the firstborn female. Um, Not really a stipulating role of the firstborn like, female. So a firstborn male, right, gets the double portion stuff. He, there's a lot of rights. There's also a lot of responsibilities involved. Um, and it's a distinguished role um, that is not shared. And when you think a secondborn son, you think, you know, why not offer for all the kids? Because like, the secondborn son is not... If the, par- right, if the parents die or something, the secondborn son really doesn't have to worry about too much. I mean, but the firstborn son, you know, he's in charge of all the, he's essentially the, the executor of the estate for I mean, everything. He inherits everything. He's, he's kind of the man in charge. Um, and there's a certain spiritual process to um, kind of like bring that into, into the situation. It just doesn't exist for the firstborn female or all the children after that. So the role of the firstborn male, the reason it has to be redeemed is because its original the original function was the and desire of Hashem was that all the firstborn males yeah. were going to serve Hashem in the temple. They were going to be the Kohanim. Okay, so hang on, I got to track this down. Okay, so bringing up the precedent of firstborn has always been about the male who is the designated Cohen of the family. Okay. Right. So with the the uh, whole incident of the golden calf, there was then golden calf. the tribe that was supposed to be serving Hashem. So it's an original redemption of these male children that. They are supposed to be in serving Hashem, but that honor has been taken away from them. It's not a slight against the firstborn female or any of the women in the family. It's a, a role that the, the firstborn male was supposed to fulfill that now he is also unable to fulfill. Gotcha. Okay, so Can to kind of... question? Okay, yes. Um, now, the rabbi said something that these sacrifices were only at the temple. Is that correct? So, I mean, it wasn't at any synagogue. It had to be at the temple. Right. Sacrifices are brought at the temple. <coughs> then um, I agree with what he's saying completely because that was my understanding, too, that the, there weren't any women priests at the temple. The only priests, even the sons of Aaron, they were all the sons, were the yes. high priests. Gotcha. And so because they were the firstborn, they were expected to be the ones that the priests were chosen from. That's right. 
So to kind of uh, synthesize everything, we're talking about the fact that originally the firstborn was basically to be used as a, a person who was, uh, or their role of a firstborn is a priestly role, is a um, to minister service to Hashem. And uh, when we look throughout uh, our history, that when you look at temple service, sacrifices, they're all brought forth by men. Uh, there are women Levites, and they're used actually in the choir. So that's a kind of cool thing that they're they're yeah, ministering on a platform, you know. So uh, some of our instrumentalists and things like that, those are women. So we, we have the fact that originally the tribe of Levi was not the priestly tribe per se. The firstborns among that tribe were priests, but the firstborn among other tribes were priests. But after the golden calf, that was the, the whole change because we lost that right. So now it's the firstborn of, uh, so now instead of it firstborn of every tribe, it's now the Levites and the, uh, the Kohanim are de designated specifically from Aharon and his sons and from Pincus. So those are kind of your, your lines of the priesthood. And obviously, if we go way back to like Parsha, I believe it is Vayera or even Leklaka, that uh, there's the, priest, uh, the priestly line of Melchizedek, which is actually a king and a priestly line put together, which was divided uh, with the birth of the sons of Jacob. So that's how Judah became priest, Levi became the, or Judah became king, Levi became priest, and then Mashiach obviously brought that back together. He unified that at the mikveh that we read in the Basura. Okay. Um, like I said, I just wanted to just ask things. I'm like, wow. And that's why the daughters of Zolophad would ask, you know, hey, so the land doesn't disappear from our family because yeah. we, ha my father had no firstborn son. Yeah to give the land to. So what what do you say to that? Yeah. And it's just kind of like, well, there's not an opportunity for Zolophad to have a son real quick because he's kind of dead. <laughs> just a little bit. So he won't be able to make a son to give the land to. So since that's the case, Hashem obviously it has a tour of grace. So it's very interesting that, that the sons of Aaron are the ones that are going to be the Kohanim because... The Levites did not participate in the whole incident of the Golden Calf, but Aaron did. Yes. And it's so Aaron participated in the sin of the Golden Calf, but yet, but yet his sons, his sons are, his sons are still on. getting to be Kohanim. Okay. Well, they're making tikkun, you know. Right. But I just find it very interesting, you know. So just an interesting point that was brought up. Uh, the other thing I would like to bring up real quick while we're on this subject is Tractate Barakot 19a with regard to the definition of a firstborn, Chazal, which are the sages, and a Bereta, this halakha can be derived by means of form of exegesis from, or from, known as, from what a general, a general, wow, this is a full statement here. Let me start over. This halakha about a firstborn, can be derived by means of the form of exegesis known as from a generalization that requires a detail and from a detail that requires a generalization. That is one of the methods of interpreting scripture. General point, and there's a detail, and then there's a detail, 
that connects back to the general point. And that gives you what's called an interpretation. So, stand by, it's gonna go ahead and do that. Yes, so we don't have to rack our brains to figure it out. Thank you, Talmud. Says, how so? Okay, so here we go. Generalization, detail, detail, generalization. Everybody got it? That's the pattern? Here we go. The verse states, sanctify to me all the firstborn. Where do we find that verse? I'm glad you asked. Shemot 13.2. And that is in our Besor portion. Okay, so. And it says, uh, that which opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and animal. So, oh, man. generalization. Man and animal and the male species or the male gender from those uh, two entities. So that's Shemot 13.2. That's our general, okay? Had the verse written only the generalization sanctified to me all firstborn, one might have thought that even a female animal is included in the category of firstborn. Therefore, the verse states the detail, every firstborn male, okay? General, sanctified to me all firstborn. Detail, sanctified to me all firstborn male, Okay, so there's our first rung on the ladder. And then it says, um, and had the verse stated only every firstborn male, one might have thought, okay, so now we're on the second detail, getting back to the generalization. One might have thought that the first male offspring of an animal has a firstborn status, even in a case where a female emerged from the womb before it. Therefore, the verse states, which opens any womb to teach that any animal that itself opens its mother's womb can be a firstborn. And had the verse stated only that which opens any womb, one might have thought that even an animal that emerged from the womb after the older sibling was born by a C-section is considered a firstborn. So therefore, the verse states, all the firstborn to teach that only the first offspring can be considered a firstborn. One question. Yes. <clears throat> so, because it's specific for male, mm -hmm. then it, it rules out any births from women. And so if the firstborn to open the womb is a female and then the second one was a male, the second one doesn't count as a firstborn male or he does, that is a first, the firstborn male. Because it, it does give you a generalization right. or a specific that it opens the womb. So then if you go... Right. Uh, so he would, he would not count as technically opening the womb because he would be a second born. Yeah. So but he would be considered a firstborn male. No, because no. then he doesn't uh, yeah, qualify. Yeah, right. He doesn't qualify as a firstborn male. So only the firstborn, if it's a male that opens the womb. Okay, so here we go. So it says, had the verse only stated every firstborn male, one might have thought that the first male offspring of an animal has firstborn status even in a case where a female came before it. But it can't So you might, you might have thought that way, that, well, he's still a firstborn because he's the firstborn to come out, even though he was second. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, that doesn't qualify him as a firstborn male. Yeah. He has to be opening the womb, and he has to be a male, and he has to be first. 
not in the eyes of Hashem, but the, if he had preceded a female in birth, mm -hmm. he would still be entitled to the property rights of the of the father. Isn't there too a scripture basis that the? No, I don't want to go there. Okay. But <laughs> the, the female being born. Okay, Adam and Eve had two children, right? Mm-hmm. No, they had three. Well, one, one kind of died, and then they had a third. So was the one that died a male, male or female? Male. male. So they had three males, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's the precedent, is that Adam and Eve dominant, had three males. They didn't have any girls. And I think that is the precedent, is that only the males counted. Only the males counted in firstborn. And only, so if they had a girl first, the males, that Would those not males have been first weren't going to be sanctified to serve the Lord in the way that, as a Cohen. As, as yeah, a, but the girls still wouldn't have been able to be they wouldn't have been, priests yeah. or nothing. Okay, so the cool thing is, I kept reading in the uh, tractate, and it literally says, uh, a male born after a female is not considered a firstborn. Uh, in what context? Because yeah. in, in, you read out of the center every day, the firstborn kind of whatever you still offer for him. And, and ultimately, all the physical, logistical issues are all, it's, it doesn't matter. You could be literally the last child born. And still be considered yeah, the firstborn. First yeah, I think we want to put this in context a little bit because we're talking about three thousand five thousand seven hundred years ago. So if you look at it, that the firstborn is pushing through, whereas these days we've got hospitals, we've got epidurals, we've got and we've got things to help well, the mother. I, I feel like we kind of got ourselves in like an intellectual uh, hole, ditch. So yeah, like we're just kind of stuck in what because. Ultimately, it's kind of decided. <coughs> I mean, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like it's basically guaranteed. If there is a child born, a male child born, that will be the firstborn male in every physical capacity, right? Well, basically, it seems like I mean, it's in the name of a firstborn male. It needs to be a firstborn, so the first the first child born from a union, and it needs to be a male. That would be what would what would. Well, then what happens if you have a female as the yeah. first child? I mean, then your then, then, your, then none of your kids consider the company certificate. That's right. They aren't a sanctified but position. It's considered a what? Yeah. What? Would you just would, say? Would none no. of your kids be able to? None of the children could serve in the temple. Okay, but in all in temple yeah, service. Cool, okay. That's cool. exactly right. In like the in the who handles the property and stuff, who gets a double blessing? That's why I was bringing that up. Yeah, that has always been. It doesn't matter well, how far down the line you are, firstborn son. Does there, well, like, okay, a modern day example in, in my family, for example, it's my sister, me, well, it's my sister, my brother that died, me, my baby brother, but I have an older brother, okay? Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, huh? My older brother <coughs> is not my father's son. But he's your mother's son. That he's my introduces so much more technicality. Right. now you have... Right. Uh, but like, my baby brother is the firstborn male of that union. Okay. So, 
it's all the, how my dad did it was okay. He's the he's the firstborn male. It don't matter. He might be the third. Anything happens, he handles everything. If he don't want to do it, then it goes to my sister. Then it goes to my older brother, and then it goes to me. That's personal principles. Hashem, when he sets down something right. toward it, that's I, I not would, uh, Can we go look up the halakha on this? Because, I mean, it's, it's a settled issue. It's not... Yeah, it, yeah. The whole, the whole point is, is back, back then, what was the woman's security was the ketubah that she was to receive from her husband. So the reason why, you know, if you had a female that was the firstborn, she was not in the inheritor of the property because the idea was that her husband would be providing for her. So that's why the subsequent property was split between the males. But if you don't, if the male is not the first child born from that mother, then nobody in that family can serve in the temple. It only the only rights they have at that point are earthly property rights, and that's it. But yeah. so it, it's a little too broad to say they're not firstborn. They're not eligible for temple service because they had a child before them, but right. they are still the firstborn male. Technically. Okay, so <laughs> it begins to be uh, a clearer picture that firstborn is, is split as far as like there's firstborn that's uh, eligible for temple service, yeah. Yeah. for priestly service. Yeah. yeah, so you have to open a womb first as a guy and then you're like, okay, you're eligible to be uh, a Cohen for your family. Right. Now, you can have daughters and, and things like that that are born before the son, yeah. but he's still called the firstborn son, even though but there's a firstborn daughter, service. but he wouldn't be eligible for temple service. Okay. See, Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Well, okay. Can I have a quick question? Yes. Adam and Eve have three boys and where all the girls come from, but it, anyway, but the fact is... Midrash teaches that each son was born with, with a girl. Yeah. Okay, so... Oh, sweet. So yeah. they didn't count. <laughs> they basically didn't count. Who didn't count? Well, at that point, remember, it was the firstborn of the family was the Cohen. So we so still have... Yeah. But he forfeited it because he killed Because he, he brought a horrible offering. Right. On a top of many other things, right? But so then that made Seth was Seth the going in? Well, it ultimately went to Seth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then Which from there that passed, that passed down like the Cohen. I mean, down to Melchizedek, who was the Shem. Shem, yeah, yeah. who yeah. was the Cohen and the king. Yes. So. All right. So how did we get off on the? All right. So Brugashem. <laughs> We're all good on the firstborn. The firstborn has to deal with uh, temple service versus firstborn status. Yeah. So let's tie it back to our Basora here that Mashiach is a firstborn male who was the first to open the womb, which goes back to Parsha Bo, chapter 13 of Shemot, which means he's eligible to be a Kohen. Right. And he's also firstborn of the house in general. And he's also in the line of Melchizedek. And he's also in the line of Melchizedek, as far as the priestly uh, lineage goes, right. because he combined the king and the priesthood when he got the priesthood transferred to him right. from Yochanan. Right. So does everybody know Yochanan was literally in the lineage of Aharon, mm -hmm. and he was the only true Cohen right. at that time. Right. 
Okay, because that's important to know. So Mashiach being in the order of Melchizedek just has to say not necessarily that he descends Mm -hmm. from Melchizedek. Ultimately, he does because that's the lineage of the Jews is from Shem, who is Melchizedek. So every Jew is technically a king and priest. Oh, wait, that's Shemot chapter 19. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, so that's a really cool, since we went through all that discussion, we now have even more to uh, validate Mashiach offering himself as an Akidah. Like that's really legit as far as he's eligible for service. What's interesting what you said there about Yochanan, because you said he was the only person eligible for the priesthood at this time. Is, is that correct or he was a person? He, he definitely would have been a person as far as who was actively involved in ministering. Because remember the, the temple... Everything that was going there, there was a lot of corruption, so there wasn't a really wasn't really a way to know who. And it's interesting that uh, Yochanan's family was chosen to be the one to have the miraculous birth of the quote unquote Eliyahu, which is is this, uh, it's not necessarily saying this would be an overall proof, but this is not uh, lessening the situation that he could have been the only valid one. Well, I think it's interesting you said, just because you said the only, it just brings up the concept of perhaps there was no further lineage of Aaron that could be the legitimate tract, maybe going from then on. Right. Well, and the overarching point to that would be that whether or not he was the only one descended from Aharon, the corruption has already taken place on the level of Cain. Of where even if we are descendants of Aharon, we forfeit it because Rome is actually running the temple. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting that Yochanan spent his time by the Jordan. <laughs> like, this is where the temple is going to be right now. Like, I'm going to precursor the Mashiach sitting at the gates of Rome and mm-hmm. being outside the community kind of thing. So, well, it's kind of back to the other concept that you might have you know, the, the Mashiach is supposed to come from the line of David, but who can track their lineage back to the line of David in today's day and time, right? Mm. So likewise, who could legitimately track their lineage back to Aaron? Because even uh, Hashem. You know, even Mizraki talks about it. He goes, half the people that think that they're Jews, they're not. He said, one of the uh, ways they shorten the line at Yeshiva is they're all waiting in line to eat food and they're, 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 the one rabbi would sit up at the, at the front and as each person comes up to try and speed up the process, he says, is your mother Jewish? He said, no, get out of line, you have to wash. You, your mother's Jewish? Yes, okay, wash your hands. So he would basically kick people out of line if their mother was not Jewish to speed up the process of hand washing because they said, oh, well, it's not required of you since you're not technically Jewish. So Wow. Half the people that Dang. think they're Jewish. Well, there was a, a Bible verse, too, in, in the Torah. I'm going to have to look it up and give you the verse, but I don't have it in front of me right now. But and it says, um, for the Jews who say they are Jews, but are not Jews, because there were people that said they were to do certain things that the Jews were doing. That's actually a passage in Revelation. Ah, yeah, it's in Revelation. Though. But that was because they were a part of a corrupt uh, body of believers. Yeah. Mm. So, it's just a link from 
And again, there, that level of corruption still exists in the world today because most quote unquote Jewish people mm -hmm. are super secular. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, so why are we still calling them Jews? Okay. <laughs> that was kind of harsh, I'm sorry. Uh, one of the things that I might say about Too late uh, to apologize. <laughs> one of the things uh, he said was the fact that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, the whole, you know, the covenants to Israel and Israel alone. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not, and you can't just walk and be like, well, I'm part of Israel because I'm part of the lost tribe. And for that matter, I can't, you can't just walk and say, my mother is Jewish, so therefore the covenant's for me. Mm. You know, it's, ultimately, it's not just a name, it's a, it's a, it's a criteria. Be, it's the a upright of, be the upright of God, be the Yisrael, and then you are the Yisrael, right? Mm. So, um, it's kind of that same point where it's like ultimately um, there's really no point even trying to like just uh, trace your lineage back because ultimately um, even if you have a lineage back it's meaningless if you completely profane it so well you know when people immigrated to America a lot of them didn't say their real name when they came here they just Ooh. You know, and, and if you claimed to be Jewish in certain places in history, mm -hmm. that was very dangerous. So the question is, did they love Hashem enough to sacrifice their life right there by saying, yes, my name is thus and I'm a Jew? Or did they say, uh, they make up a name and say they weren't Jewish, that they could be there for their family and continue their line, whoever's line it is. It might even been someone. Well, a lot of times when they, when, when they would say, okay, my name is da-da-da-da-da, sometimes the people who were doing the census or doing the record keeping, they either did not understand it, could not spell it, so they would shorten the name or, yeah. you know, something else. So a lot of, it wasn't always the people coming in. It was the other people that were doing the records because, like, they was like, my name is Zimwalski or something like that, and they would change it to Zimmerman or something that they can understand. Mm -hmm. you know? Or that they can legibly write in their language. Paris right. Uh -huh. changed. Oh. His uh, husband changed. Hadar, do you remember what, it was, what it's Jim Yaji or, or Ooh, something? Daddy's last name, the Ferris last name. He, he could tell you, but it's, cha it's changed. So it changed so. to Ferris because it's the fairest way to say it? <laughs> Could be. <laughs> oh man, with that I lost my Patreon. Oh, well, there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> but you know, like, oh. like, like. Um, oh, he remembered. Okay. See? No, wait. come on. Nujami? Yes, it's Ferris Nujami. Ferris Nujami. So they dropped everything yes. else yes. and just said Ferris. Mm -hmm. You guys are Lebanese, yeah. right? So Ferris Nujami. Wow. What is it, German? Uh, Lebanese. Lebanese. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like our my my maiden name is Walker. Mm -hmm. Okay, but they dropped. They actually swap because it, it was like it would have been like walking stick or something like that. They uh -huh. dropped all of that and said Walker. Just half stepped. They just half stepped it. Yeah. Half -stepped. <laughs> so it's not always the people that were coming here. It's, a lot of times it was the people that were doing the records because either, like you said, they didn't understand the language. Mm -hmm. 
or they couldn't, they didn't understand the name, they didn't know how to spell it, so they shortened it, chopped it off, mm-hmm. changed it to something else. Like, um, um, Miller is actually um, a, cha- a name change for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the names are, are literally name changes for other things. Like, okay, given this, my first name is Trefina. Okay? I spell it one way. The state of Louisiana spelled it a totally different way. Which makes it very confusing when I have to show two and three different pieces of documentation to show I'm the same person. Mm. Okay? But that's literally, I can un- I can totally understand what happened. Because if you're speaking English and you got somebody else here that's speaking um, um, Czechoslovakian, I don't speak Czechoslovakian. Do you speak Czechoslovakian? So they're telling you their name. You're like, okay, no, it's Mother is- Russia. There's also a lot of constant. Russia ain't my mouth. Like, uh, right. like the, you have to learn. Like it takes yeah. years and years, and uh, yeah. there's certain sounds you can't even make in the English language. Right. So it's use. just easier. Let's just let's just okay. Let's just make this easier for everybody. You know. Uh, just like that. Well, kind of <laughs> tag. It kind of points to something interesting. If you think, you know, how generally everyone tries, it, it's something. Especially with uh, what we just finished talking about, to make fun before a, ho- a holy day. Uh-huh. Um, and then we like, why? Well, just as a kind of why piece not? of speculation just to think about, is the fact that um, you can never really be sure if your mother was Jewish or whatever. Um, so it's almost like before every holy day, you kind of convert again and just, you know, let that day be. Kind of be above reproof. It's like you know you're not uh, you're not Jewish. It's like uh, it turns out oh turns out your mother uh, you're adopted and your mother who was Jewish isn't actually your mother and you're going it's like well what's the matter I've already made fun so I mean, who, who can accuse me right right so it is just kind of an interesting thought because ultimately it's like the amount of mental effort to try to trace lineages and to chop people down because oh your mother's not Jewish blah blah blah. You we channel that in like feeding poor people, they wouldn't, they'd probably, you know, it'd wouldn't be, like, be any poor people. Or yeah, yeah, hungry people. Yeah, yeah. No hungry people. And so it's kind of just, a, it, it makes life so much easier for just, you know what? You're just as Jewish as I am. Like, how Jewish are you? It's like, I don't know. How Jewish are you? Right. <laughs> At my job, several times I've spoken to somebody with the last name Levy mm-hmm. or Cohen mm-hmm. on a Friday and I've said Shabbat Shalom. And they look at me like, like oh, <laughs> So are you trying to say lineage doesn't necessarily guarantee connectedness? Mm-hmm. Even if your name is Levy, which means connect? Mm-hmm. Man, okay, what's one, in a name? One more interesting, or a completely unrelated point. Oh, stop. Point. I'm like talking about, uh, and he said it in such a way that it kind of made me think of something. The fact that Mashiach took all the leprosy and all the boil and or all yeah all the lesions and of the entire body. All the Israel, sicknesses, mm-hmm. yes. Put on himself. Mm-hmm. If he's a Cohen, if he took all, all upon himself, he'd be the only one who could declare himself pure. Right. Right. So there was kind of a picture um, I, somewhere. I need to find it. I think it was like Garden or um, Orchard Delight talking about the the korban, right? The drawing close. Um, ultimately. Uh, this, whatever offering could never fully atone for 
uh, the, the person giving the offering because a little piece of like its holiness had to go towards the Kohen, which had also sinned, and um, so that, that offering was never perfectly distributed to the person to, that gave it as an atonement because both of them, but so with a perfect Kohen, then that offering could completely do away with the leprosy and everything. So it made, it made me think of that though. Yeah. All right, so we got the mikvah before each festival is likened to a conversion, mm -hmm. so that when you show up and all your homeboys are at the temple and they're like, "Hey, is your mother Jewish?" It's like, "Oh, look at the time! I just mikvah this morning, and I'm yeah. I'm new today." <laughs> so yes, my mother is Jewish. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what does it really? Uh, uh, um, I have to agree with David. Really, what does it matter? Because when you take on the lifestyle, when you when you consciously say, Hashem, I'm going to live the life that you've called all of us to live, you know, and I'm going to do what you called us to do. Does it really matter what man says? I mean, really, in, in the end, who am, am, am I going to stand before Emet and be judged, or am I going to stand before Hashem? Who, who should I really care about more, Hashem or Emet? Yeah. All I gotta say is I ain't saying nothing because I don't even be in the room. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to say something about the conceptuality of the leper is that <clears throat> so the concept of Yeshua as a person that has leprosy is as one human being. But mm -hmm. every person on the entire earth that knows of the concept of Yeshua has a picture in their mind of Yeshua and they can't all match and yet every let's say uh, <clears throat> 500 million people are today in 24 hours they're going to pray to through Yeshua let's say they pray through Yeshua Mm -hmm. So and they, they don't any of them see the same concept that maybe I see or they don't see him as a leper And I'm not saying that he's not a leper covered with leprosy. Yeah. You're just talking about what people know what and, people see and, what they and see. so yeah. Because we're talking about the, the concept how is it that 600 million people can pray to one person and no one sees the same thing plus he hears every word and every prayer through Hashem, and yet every human being is praying to one person, and he hears everything. Well, well first, every human being, we're supposed to be praying to Hashem, but we pray in the merit of the Mashiach. In the so, merit of the Mashiach. Right. Yeah. So well, you're just saying the fact that everyone who's praying in the merit of Mashiach, first of all, some people aren't even calling him Mashiach. Right, exactly. Some people are calling him something else. Right. And then it's just like, but how can all of those same people not see him for who he is? Exactly. But so, he is a leper. To your point, when <coughs> Mashiach appeared after his resurrection in the Basora, the, the road to Emmaus, the same Yeshua HaMashiach, mm -hmm. they didn't know who he was until they got to where they were going and they started breaking bread. Right. Then they're like, oh, you, it's you. And then he disappears. Yeah. Kepha and the Talmudim were out fishing. Yeshua's on the shore. They don't know who he is yeah, until they start to get closer. And they're like, oh. And then Kepha covers himself, starts swimming. And it's like, my Lord. 
So if you extend those, just those two examples out to a bigger picture, just because we recognize and know who Yeshua is, it depends on what he's allowing us to see. Because right. ultimately, it, it's all based off of, you know, what, what mani- how is Hashem going to manifest Mashiach? You know, right. and another, another point here is that um, <coughs> because Hashem has all time in his hands, he has from the Alpha to the Omega, then through time and through mental processes, every human being can have a conceptual picture of Yeshua. Even if they didn't live during the time that he lived, they can also right. see specific verses in the Bible that tells of his life so that some human being might see him at birth in Bethlehem. Yep. Someone might see him at the crucifixion and mm-hmm. then someone might see him at the gates with the leprosy. Well, is he all of those things or yes. is he just one thing? So he's all is, he, is he only the leprosy because or is he everything? He's, yes, he's, he's all of it because okay. where, where is the consistency? The consistency is the Torah. Remember, the Torah comes from Hashem, and the Torah became flesh in Mashiach. When we go through the Torah, how many thousands of interpretations does the Torah have? How many faces does the Torah have? You know, when you start looking at the commentary, how can we read one verse, like at least 613, if not more different ways? Don't even get into Gematria, because you're still on the same verse, but yet you're all the way over somewhere else talking about this verse. So when it comes to Mashiach, we know that if we can interpret the Torah like that, then his image can be interpreted like that, which is why it's important for us to understand he's in the form and in the likeness of man, but he's not limited by that. Right. There's two other things I'd like to add. Is that um, just like Moshe, when he saw and he said he couldn't see clearly that uh, there were facets, there are facets yes. of Hashem that probably you couldn't see on the other side, mm-hmm. but he saw in front, and then uh, it's what you see. Plus, when the rabbi says that, or there are two different spell, spellings, one is with the Aleph and one is it's with the, the I, So, I. Or, meaning God's, Hashem's uh, light mm-hmm. is different than skin, skin light. light. However, if mm-hmm. you stop and think about it, because I thought about this after the rabbi said that, is that light, on, there's hundreds of kinds of light, you know, mm-hmm. alpha rays, beta rays, gamma like rays, radiation, yeah. yeah, ultra, <laughs> ultraviolet rays. We got radiation, all this. So, but light that we see with our eyes is basically in only two forms. It's in rays that come from the sun that come down, and also the light that exists uh, in the air. There is a suspended photons which exist in the light and in the air Mm -hmm. so of these two things our eyes only see these Mm -hmm. because we can't we can't separate the light into the prism that separates ultraviolet from alpha correct yeah we need instruments to do that yeah so what i'm saying is that um all light for us to see it with our eyes has to reflect on something Mm -hmm. so this light for us, for me to see you, the rays or the photons have to hit on you and come back this way for me to see you. So all light 
-hmm. is actually bouncing off the skin that we can see the skin of the Yeshua through the light of Hashem. Get you some. I just got a science lesson. Well, I want to throw out something after you. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to point out, apparently, leprosy, the leprosy that they talk about, uh, it's, uh, I can't pronounce it, Zahara. 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 Forgot the T gets, uh, S gets Mm -hmm. turned into a T. Speak with a lisp. Speak with a lisp. So here I'm reading the Midrash says. Midrash says. uh, Page 119. It says, it is incorrectly assumed that the Zaharat described in the Torah is identical with the common disease known as leprosy, and that the Torah prescribes how to check the spread of infection. This theory, however, is based on a mistaken premise. The symptoms of the Zaharat described by the Torah are not those of leprosy, neither does the cure commanded by the Torah conform to any rule of medicine or hygiene. Rather, uh, Mm. it actually shows up instead of uh, darkening and raising the skin, it actually uh, doesn't deform the skin, it turns it white. Mm-hmm. Oh, like wow. the patches of white, so it's kind of weird. But, but they have like a direct like way they list how you like are determine. supposed to determine it, detect it, and like how you deal with it. Didn't and it's the like rabbi the, uh, didn't the rabbi clarify this the other day? It's not a physical. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So it popped just, up after the uh, Beit Hamikdash um, was built as a sign of the Almighty's special providence upon them. So it's kind of neat. I just want to point that out. Just so one. Is it spiritual then? It's spiritual that manifests as a physical yeah. ailment. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And you don't have a doctor that can diagnose it, which takes it out of, again, the erroneous translation of leprosy. Yeah. So they didn't have like a go to guide for how to deal with what we know today as leprosy. They had a go to guide how to deal with what was the what it says, the Zaharat. So it's two completely different. Um. Side note, if a doctor really came to you and said, well, I, uh, the prognosis is in, uh, you have Zaharat, mm-hmm. and uh, you're going to need to take some penicillin. And Let me check it out. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, uh, first of all, how do you even know what Zaharat is? It's like, well, I'm Dr. Cohen. And, uh, <laughs> Are you Jewish? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to listen. Is that Jewish? Is that a food or like what? Okay, so what I wanted to bring down about the whole skin thing, uh, we know that the Torah teaches us that we lost the olive light and we were clothed in ore with the ayin, right? So the reason why that word is also light is because Shanae Lukot Habrit brings down, okay, so this is one of many interpretations, obviously, but I thought this was a really cool facet that the word for or was the or of the female Leviathan from Bereshit chapter 1 because when Hashem created the Leviathan, He created two. He created a male and a female Leviathan, the great sea creature that we're going to eat the flesh of at Sukkot. They get like the time at the bottom of the seas. Or yeah, like it's like that. a giant, you don't want none of that type no. of... It's like, it's scales are supposed to, are described to be impervious to any weapon. Yeah, Job chapter 40. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, the Leviathan's a huge animal that Close. you don't want to make angry. Okay, but anyway, so uh, I made the comment that, you know, obviously having a bunch of baby leviathans in the world, that, that'd be kind of uh, interesting for us surviving. But anyway, so with that being said, the 
clothing that we received from Hashem was the skin of the female Leviathan. And here's what it says about it. The skin of the Leviathan is a very great light indeed. I have found a, a statement in the commentary of Zioni on this portion and based on the Midrash that the skins used to make the garments of or with an ayin for Adam and Haber were taken from the female. And um, it says, God surely did not create the skin without assigning a purpose for it. So the skin even uh, gave off light, but it gave off a lesser light. Than Hashem's like. So tag in real quick. Isn't the Leviathan also what Hashem is gonna make the sukkah out yes. of? Yes. After and we're I think we're gonna eat. From we're gonna eat well. the meat of it, and, and we're gonna clothes. have a jewelry from it. We're also gonna have a hat, a nifty little hat from it. <gasps> really? Okay, my question yes. is this: Why in the wild the female Leviathan? Just wondering. She can like procreate and stuff and have babies. Well, well she kind of need the male though, don't she? Yeah, the male's still alive. We don't know if there was actual sexual content back then. This until they were expelled from the garden, there was no sexual. Well, Hashem said, yes. "Be fruitful and multiply." Yeah, be fruitful and multiply. It so, doesn't yeah, mean they had sex, though. That's the only way to be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> okay. Procreation. Procreation is the word we're going for. Fun fact, actually. Oh goodness. Of Maybe we're not going no, it for was this. the original immaculate <laughs> conception. It wasn't no. the original Mac. Adam no, was the original. Adam is. Adam but where did where did Cain come from? I was just reading about it. Uh, Abel, <laughs> Seth, Noah. When the mama human gets together with the daddy human. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not. I read it somewhere in the middle. I think I, I got it. Oh, okay, so we got a point over here. Please take us away from that. No, 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 I'm done. No, that's. I was getting at the point You're of done. childbirth, how it was. Okay, oh cool. Gosh, when the mama but had I had sources. <laughs> All right. There is a problem. So, uh, we got any points over here? Y'all want to share something? It's something? actually like a huge part of this chapter of work. I'm just here for the ride right now. <laughs> yeah, it is a ride right now. I have a riot. about the light and the. Okay, so no procreation, just light. Just light. We're going. Okay, just we're going light. for okay. a light conversation so, here. Let's say that uh, an um, Hashem is not a respecter of persons, so anybody on the earth is included in this, whether they be anything. Okay, let's just leave all things out. And this all mankind, in, uh, blind people. Okay. So maybe a blind person. Uh, so I close my eyes, and I can see the intensity of the light because I used to do this. Uh, I had a phone. I had to wait for a game to come up on it, and I had to. So I had to sit and wait. And in the dark, I would sit there with my eyes closed, and I could tell when the light came on, so I could play because it was too long of a time to wait. And so okay. I'm sitting there going, "So you can see light with your eyes closed." Mm. So True. even though a blind person can't see, this light exists in another form other than what we see with our mm. eyes. There's actually a okay. color. Oh. We don't see pitch black with our uh, when we shut our eyes. There's yeah. actually a specific name for the color. It's something super weird. In the nighttime, you can see. No, it's it's, it's called nightshade. No, no, it's no, black. No, black's the new one. I'm gonna look it up while you guys are. Right. Oh, there's a darker one. Yeah. It's the and one where you close. Okay, your we got eyes. an actual oh. tag, so let's wrap it up. Okay. Or we're thing. going over now. No Speaking rest. Speaking as a person that actually is legally blind, 
I can I yes you can you close your eyes and yes you can see light you can see light with you can eyes closed. see light you're even though even though you may not be able to see images that reflect that the light reflects you still see light mm -hmm. um your redness still technically work okay. because your, your brain doesn't can't your brain can't put the image together like your eyes aren't your or some of your eyes the, the receptors in your eyes aren't it's not creating a full picture. No, it's sometimes it's not even creating a picture if the receptors are gone. If the blood vessels aren't, if the blood vessels, oh, I don't want to put this. Okay, if you have issues with your retinas, because it's your retinas that cause you to be able to see the images. Okay, if you have issues with your retinas, you see absolutely, you're supposed to see absolutely nothing. And the reason why I can say that is Tag. because <laughs> is because I'm legally blind. I'm not supposed to be able to see anything because when my doctors look at my retinas, they see nothing but scar tissue. Where the blood vessels form, there are no blood vessels. I'm not supposed to be able to see. <coughs> well, how about that? <coughs> Brooke Shem, you can see. Yeah, I Brooke can. Shem. All right. So, oh, the color was egg and growl, by the way. Holy egg and cool. what? Growl. It's like egg black and gray. gray. Egg and gray. It is, you're right. It is black and gray. It is black literally gray. black and gray. Okay. So, since we're talking about even though you have your eyes closed, you can still see the light. Mm -hmm. I immediately thought about how the the light of Torah is permeating the world right, right. now. Yes. 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 And this is why all mankind is called to make teshuva because we can all see this light. Right. However, the facets of it is what we're having the issues with, right. which is why so many different religions right. exist and why there's shreds of truth, little and vessels, all, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah. So where I wanted to go with this is, first of all, the letter to Ephesus, chapter 4, says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance of that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So this darkening, this is uh, in the context. Ephesians 4 what? Uh, 18. So literally, hang on one second. So you can, you can say tag and so I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I point to you after this. Okay. So this is talking about the overall context is being called out from the goyim being called out from darkness, which is goyim, lawlessness, into light. Go. Okay, and so also in Torah it says, and the lamp of truth and the light of the Torah, okay. which are two different kinds of lights. Okay. And the light of, the lamp of truth is that that you see, that you can justify as truth, but it's also the light of the flesh. Who's truth? And the lamp of or the light of the Torah is beyond that which can be produced by man in a lamp. It is from God. It is. It's eternal. a greater light. It is a greater light. So there is the greater and the lesser light that are. Well, the luminary of the creation, right? The, the sun and the moon were supposed to be equal, but they didn't want to share. Right. So the Shem said, "You know what? You guys are going to alternate, and." <laughs> you guys, one of you guys is going to be smaller because I think it was the moon that complained, right? The moon the complained moon and lost a lot of light. Yeah. Thanks, moon. Or lost all of the, the light. The moon became a lamp and the sun remained as the, the big light. 
So, truthfully, there is a lamp and the, and then the light. The light, they're separate. The light is at the Torah. Well, because remember, the lamp has to contain and, and hold and channel. Just like the, uh, the menorah is the lamp for the light. So, uh, the, the lamp is the mitzvah and the light that shines is the Torah. That's from Proverbs. And so when you're looking at a lamp versus the light, the light is greater than the lamp because the lamp has to have light in order to do something with it. Light itself is just out there. Mm-hmm. So you have to, but you got to get something to hold it and use it. So this is why, this is why it's so important for us to do mitzvot is because that lets our light shine before the world and that causes our lamp to not be hidden under a bushel. Mm-hmm. And you put the light on the table via a lamp stand. This is why you should just put the lamp stand on the table so you can give shining to the whole room. And if you go back to Parsha Mishpatim, Rashi brings down, you arrange the Torah and its mitzvot like a table. Huh? Yes, you are to arrange it. Rashi, Parsha Mishpatim, opening commentary. So if you really look at that, what's he really saying? Put your lamp on the table, you know, and let this light shine. And Mishpatim has to do with all of the interperson to person laws and, and things like that. Wow. So um and let your light shine is Yeah, let the Torah shine through a lamp mm-hmm. because how you gotta you you gotta take that light and channel it because other than that it's just it's just out there. Except that right. when you when you are enlightened by a Torah then you are the shining light of Torah because you're living Torah. As a lamp. Then no not anymore as a lamp. Yes, yeah. because you're 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 where the light is emanating from. A lamp <coughs> takes the light and emanates it. You get what I'm saying? Like you take it and you are, be able to you, are, yeah. you be become why, a vessel. Hence okay. why Yeshua was okay, hence, that's it, why then. Yeshua yes. told, that's told, it. told 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 the Talmudim, he told us he said, You are a lapidim to the world. Yes. Come on. That's what we're that's what we're talking about. Matthew five fourteen. Yeah. So if we're lapidim like both you and it may say the light of Torah is shining through us so that someone else who is not living this right life mm-hmm. can see can see literally the light of Torah and of course it's gonna they're gonna ask questions and hopefully by your example cause them to come and live this life of Torah right you you bring light to their room so that they can move around, yeah. and that's called walking. I you mean, know? because and that's granted, the way. granted, you can okay, maybe y'all can't, but I can actually see in the dark. Okay, it's weird. Yeah. No need to it's, brag around here. No, no, no. I'm just no. I'm, I'm just saying it's weird because I'm like how, but it's because I've gotten accustomed to walking like in my house in the dark. I know every, I know every area of my house. Just like you know, every area. So if we turn the light off in here, you can walk around without knocking over the books. I don't know this area. Oh, so knowledge. Yeah, Mm. but if I knew the area, sure, you turn the lights off, I could navigate. Hmm. Now I got into. Okay, so where are we at? What were you about to say? (laughs) No, were we gonna say something new? Was anybody gonna say something new? No, over there. Okay, because if not, I'm going to tag in. Go ahead. Okay, of course. 
Okay, so back to the blindness. Blindness. Now, if you go to the letter to the Romans, Mm -hmm. chapter 11. Okay. This also now gives us new insight, all sorts of pun intended, to understanding that it says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Yisrael has experienced a hardening in part or a blindness in part until the full number of the nations have made shuva. So when we're talking about blindness to the light, obviously Mashiach is the ultimate expression of that light. But those who are a part of Yisrael proper, as far as like, you know, halakhic conversions and all that kind of stuff without Yeshua, as far as in, in name and in entity as we know, um, that it's as if the, the, uh, the light has been turned off for them or there's been a uh, diminishing of the aspects of who Yeshua truly is. So things that we're able to see, they're not able to see. We can clearly point out in the Midrash that Mashiach is a manifestation of the Shekinah. Mm -hmm. He is, you know, the king of Israel. He is the one who gave his life just like Yitzhak did, Mm -hmm. you know, and all these kinds of things. We could see it, but they can't. Because that's because Hashem has allowed a partial blindness to come upon them. So when we really look at the the idea of being able to see and sight and vision, I think that's like pretty legit based off what we've been talking about to further extend into the plagues from Mitzrayim. Mm -hmm. There was light Mm -hmm. for the Jews and darkness Darkness for the the Egyptians. And they're able to move around. And so not calling Israel Egyptians, but using that as a case precedent of example, that's the level that we have to understand that Hashem is allowing us to walk in as Lapid. We're going through all of the proverbial Jewish homes Mm -hmm. and looking at all of their treasures, looking at all of their goals. We're diving in all of these Midrash, diving into all these Talmud tractates, and we're seeing all of this precious jewelry that had it not been dark and we walked up to them and said, hey, can you teach me some Talmud? They're like, "Eh, you believe in that JC guy, right? And you're like, no, I know it's in there. I know it's tractate Nida 31B. I know it's in there. And they're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, well, the true answer is, like, all right, do you turn the light back off. guy? No, I do not, but right. I do believe in Yeshua HaMashiach. Right. right. So, you know, anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Food for thought. <laughs> Sorry. It's just kind of interesting because you brought that up. And you made, you, I'm sorry, you made me think about an incident that happened. One day I was waiting at the bus stop, and there was, it was on a Wednesday night. And I was on my way to Bible study. Okay. And there was this young man that came and sat down next to me waiting on the bus. And this woman, and I'm sorry, but in that moment, I did not want to be associated with the female species. Okay. <laughs> because she was supposed to be a quote-unquote prophetess, evangelist, whatever. Okay. And... Keep it going. She turned me off. Keep it going. But (laughs) she was looking at. She was talking to this to the to the gentleman next to me, and because he had a keeper on, (coughs) and she's like, 
you need Jesus. Da, 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 da. I mean, she's literally beating this guy up with the Bible. Yeah. Okay. And he's like looking at her like, okay, how do I escape this woman? <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Pray really hard and run really fast. And I don't even know. Normally, I'm like, yeah, it ain't my, my tree, not my monkeys. I'm out of it. But did you think that my monkeys? Yes. <laughs> but it was so weird. It was like I'm sitting on all of a sudden. I was like, can I say something? And the woman's like, what? And I looked at the guy and I said, you believe in God, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you ask God to show you who Yeshua is in the Torah? And then my bus came, and I got on the bus. Well, I was getting on the bus, and the lady looks at me. She says, do you know what you just did? And I said, yeah, I got you off his back. Okay. Wow. And I had no idea then that I'd be walking this life now. Yes. So let's let Malik David finish with his tag, and we will index our crazy time. <laughs> the kind of block when he loses his eye, right? Or belong when he loses his eye, right? Bilam loses, Bilam his, loses eye. his eye. Okay, yes. Like, yes. It, it became blind in one eye. It, um, it never starts... Source, please. I think it's in Bilam. Uh, right? All the... Comp- uh, Humash on... Uh, no, no, let, me, let me go there while he's Actually, talking. Actually, yeah, no, I think I read it out. Do it. Basically... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you up. <laughs> Keep question, going. Why does the Torah never stop referring to him as having a deen, not an A? It's not his eyes. It's it's not his eyes. It's his eyes the whole time. Loses an eye, wipes out two eyes. And the thing was, it was the, there's there's um, I think a lot of it's called the mind's eye, right? Yeah. So yeah. you were talking about it where you know if you know this, you know the place. You don't really need to use your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting thing. Where did it go? Um, out of verse twenty-two, God's. Verse 22, what book, what chapter? Okay. It literally in here, like, word for word, says, Oh, then Adonai uncovered Balaam's eye, and he saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road, his eyes, and he saw the angel of Hashem standing on the road, the sword drawn in his hand. Uh, Verse 31, the Midbar 2231. But just to kind of... There's a lot of uh, the commentary around Bilam mm. about um, the vision and everything mm-hmm. and seeing and all of it related. Because right, he's the like, second greatest prophet to ever rise, basically, mm-hmm. or had the potential to. Right. Had the potential to be the best prophet to ever rise. Um, and one of the couple of key things that goes through the parasha related to him is all about his vision and his eyes and what he sees in all of this. And the whole time, he has one eye. Never st- The Torah never says, if you never read that, you never guess that he lost that eye. Mm-hmm. Um, or if the commentary notes that you would never guess. So it's just kind of this picture of how kind of meaningless the eyes are in context, <coughs> in the grand spiritual context. So you look at Bilam, he's walking around with one eye. But the Torah never says that he, they it never took away from his eyes. So there's, okay, there's a, did you okay, did you ever stop to think 
maybe, and I'm just going off of experience here, that even though he lost the sight in one eye, that his other eye compensated. Do you know if it was a left eye or the right eye? Cause I mean, don't remember. It's exactly. really. I, I mean, ultimately, it's kind of inconsequential to the, the greater point of Bilam's vision not really having anything to do with his actual eyes. Because of Jewish, so you're talking is the left is lesser and the right is greater. There's an evil eye, yes. And so you would, if he lost his left eye, then he would still be able to see in theology, in theory, with the greater vision of the right eye. I mean, well, he would have gone completely blind anyway. But the point is that the Torah never detracts from his vision, right? Because ultimately, spiritually, it's nothing was lost. we see by. Umuna and not by sight. Yeah. All right. So to source out, you did say uh, chapter twenty-four. Uh, something like that in the Kehut. Okay, so it is chapter twenty-four, verse three. Is it twenty-two? Okay. Oh, so that says uh, the word of a man whose eye is true. Okay, so it's three twenty-two through thirty-one. Twenty-four. Okay. Or chapter twenty-four, Bami Bar. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that he sees three. the truth with his eye? I'll, I'll go look at but he's true okay. with his eyes. No, we're just talking general sight. Oh. Like he can see. Okay. General sight. Okay. So uh yeah. Alright. So Brugasham, Toda Rabat for everyone joining us. Um I don't think we said an opening bracket. No, we did not. So may Hashem forgive us for that. He, that's not on his job. He he ha, he doesn't just have one job. He has like two. But but I, however, have one job, and that is to say the bracket. And I had one job and didn't do it. So making teshuva by saying the closing bracket and praying that Hashem will help us next time to say the opening bracket. But Baruch Hashem to everyone for joining us. Closing bracket. Wait, I have to say blessings over you because. You're in such constant admiration and praise of Hashem that your bracha was left over from last time. That you are so constant in your faith through Him that He can forgive you your teshuva. Thank y'all for making me feel better. <laughs> but here we go. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Amen. Shalom lalatov.